And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at the University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podcast, Stitcher, anywhere you can basically get a podcast. If you guys would go ahead and drop us a five-star review, we really appreciate it, and it just makes us more visible to everybody else. And if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, why don't you just go ahead and hit the subscribe button, because we really appreciate that, too. I'm your host, Kamiya Marabi, and joined by my co-host, Stephen Brown. Stephen, Oklahoma beats the TCU Horned Frogs yesterday, 33-14. to How are we feeling on a Sunday morning? Uh well first of all it's it's freaking cold it is it's like what thirty two degrees yeah the heater's on in the house right now <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's interesting for an October but uh it was it was a good showing by Oklahoma I think um, I think we'll both agree that it wasn't the best game they could have had but uh, it was definitely a, a step in the right direction on both sides of the ball yeah I thought the game it was a weird game I mean. Going into it, I think a lot of people understood that Oklahoma was definitely more talented. But Oklahoma's been more talented than all the teams they've played this year. And, of course, they've come away with two losses after going up by three scores versus Kansas State and two scores by Iowa State and almost giving it away against Texas. So we we know that Oklahoma's more talented, but it's a matter of just can they put it together and can their youth grow up a little bit more. And, I mean, this game felt pretty odd from beginning to really not almost I guess until Marvin Mims really just completely just put the nail in the coffin with that moss catch he had over I don't even know the TCU defender and then when once it went up 27 to 7 then you felt like okay this game is this game is effectively pretty pretty much done because TCU hadn't shown anything all day so and let's talk about it Marvin Mims oh my gosh this guy play after play after play not just catching the ball, but in the return game. How special is he probably going to be over the next couple of years, like impact-wise? I mean, I think you have to immediately look at like uh, like what CeeDee Lamb did as a freshman and just like a Marvin Mims. Um, he's more versatile as far as being a threat in the return game, especially kick return. Um, as a route runner, he's right up there with CeeDee. That's what CeeDee did so well as a freshman. Um, came in, just looked the part right away. So uh, the scary thing is he has he has at least two more years to go. Um, and obviously you can kind of tell with his body, he's just not there yet. Um, he still has that, that freshman, that high school body. So give him a year, it, it's going to be scary. Yeah, he's he's like, what, 6'1", 170 something. And I just know after a real offseason of conditioning and strength and, uh, strength and conditioning staff under Benny Wiley, probably get up to like what 180 190 maybe not 190 maybe like 185 but it's just incredible that i mean he's the one that's making a lot of these big plays from all of these games i mean out of all the guys that spencer rattler's been throwing to austin stogner uh charleston rambo um, Marvin Mims, all the guys he's getting the ball to, it seems like Marvin Mims is the one that's most consistently, especially a big playmaker. And so Mims all day, true freshman, was really impressed by him. We knew coming into the season he'd probably be a contributor, and but I don't think we understood he would probably be this much of a contributor against the quality of teams that Oklahoma's faced so far. And, you know, he's played against Kansas State, Iowa State, and this time he didn't let this whole disappearing act that's kind of followed him 
happened in the second half. He even came up a little bit bigger in the second half against TCU down in Fort Worth. So kudos to him. And the guy getting him the ball, Spencer Rattler, we talked about this several times. If the goal, if the yard marker is 2015 Baker Mayfield, um, we'd be really pleasantly surprised and happy with Spencer Rattler this season. And Spencer Rattler is far surpassing 2015 Baker Mayfield as a redshirt freshman, and he hasn't even gotten Hazelwood and Trajan Bridges back. He's still dealing. He he has Theoese. He has Marvin Mims and Stogner when he's not having a defender draped all over his back. So, I mean, what does this say for Spencer Rattler, and how many years do you think he ends up spending in Norman considering how well he's doing this first year? Um, As far as what it means for Spencer Rattler, I think uh... – I think it just confirms what everybody thought. I mean, his arm talent is just—it's just elite. Um, uh, as far as you know, comparing him to Baker, I don't think he's there yet. Um, even when Baker, during his, his bad moments, he had that moxie. He kept his teammates engaged. Um, I just haven't seen that from Spencer Rattler quite yet. So, I think the arm talent, especially—you uh, look at—it's it, very promising. It's, it could be the best out of Kyler Baker, um, especially Jalen. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> jeez, I think uh, I think Rattler, you know, give him some time, give him some time to grow up. Um, he could be really, really good. And I think this is a really good time to reflect on Baker Mayfield. That it's not like he just came out of the the blue. I mean, he played at Texas Tech for a minute and got and lost his job to injury, and then all those Texas Tech quarterbacks eventually just transferred. Uh, of course, to let make way for Pat Mahomes, but. Bake was like the offensive player or an offensive newcomer of the year at Texas Tech, and he didn't get a scholarship or wasn't or was not getting a scholarship just yet. So he just, he ditched Lubbock, like most normal people would, and he went to Norman and then had a great success. And so I think we're seeing maybe Spencer Rattler. I mean, we're seeing just the first spots of him since high school football, and he got suspended. Remember, like three games went into the season at Pinnacle in Arizona, so we're seeing him play functional football. And I think next year he's going to be really, really special, as if he wasn't already really special this year. I mean, I just need the man to stop holding on to the ball for so long. He 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 holds on to the ball for too long, and he can get himself in trouble. And that's a, that's a rookie mistake, especially playing at this level. I need him to stop trying to spin move defensive ends, trying to like lower the boom on him, because he's going to get lit up one game, and he's going to get knocked out for the game. Yeah, he's not that big, and he's not that fast. Um, what made it special to Kyler is just he was just incredibly athletic, incredibly fast. Spencer Rattler, uh, he's got to get down. Yeah, like he <laughs> he made some great plays. He's gonna break no some doubt. ribs. He made some great plays, avoiding pressure, avoiding a few sacks, and scrambling up down the field and making great throws out of them. But he's gonna get killed. He's ki- and there were several times where we looked back at it and we're like, why is he running the read option right there? And there's several times we look back and said, why is he holding on to the ball? Just throw it away. Throw it at the, somebody's feet. And again, that's that's a, that's a rookie mistake. That's a young that's a young guy's mistake. And so I think as the year goes on, of course, we've seen the team get better. And I think coming up, you have Texas Tech, and then you have teams like, you know, what, Baylor, Kansas, etc. So the second half of the season is really among Oklahoma, and they have Oklahoma State left, and then Really, they should win the rest of the games. But let's talk about Charleston Rambo. I mean, coming into the season, a lot of people said, I mean, hey, he's the second leading receiver after after CeeDee Lamb. He almost had 1,000 yards receiving um, with a Jalen Hurts. And 
people said, oh, I guess he's going to be the new guy. I guess he's going to be the new uh, number one uh, wide receiver. And I think a lot of rational folks, I think anybody that's really seen them play, probably understood Charleston Rainbow was not going to be that go-to receiver. He's not going to be a C.D. Lamb. He's not going to be a Sterling Shepard. He's not a Marvin Mims. He's not a Jaden Hazelwood. And so Rambo was never going to be the guy. And I think all of us, and I think even the people that didn't want to believe it, but I think people that even didn't want to believe it knew that Rambo was not going to be the guy. And speaking to him, both you know Theo, Theo Howard has been just a large disappointment, but I imagine coming off that Achilles is not that great for his development anyways, but then again, he uh, has been playing college football for a while now. So what do you make of Rambo, and should he be on the field every <clears throat> down? Because he's he's not on the field every down anymore like he used to be. Every down, no. Uh, I do think he has a role in this offense, though, especially being a deep threat. Dropping the uh, ball I, when it hits your hands. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty bad. That was inexcusable. But he is one of those guys that can get behind the secondary. Um, he has the speed to do it. As far as like the jet sweeps, um, like the screens, all those those short routes, he that's just not for him because he just sits there and dances the whole time. Hate it. <clears throat> He's just like he tried to ju- he caught the ball and then he tried to juke <laughs> out a defender and I was like, what are you doing? Just think, go. I think it was you. I think you said he was like the Alex Ross of wide yes. receivers. It's just incredible. I've never seen a wide receiver have hips that awful. <laughs> It's just you. It's like you can hear. Like I said, it's like you can hear the the brakes and the gears grinding when he tries to make any sort of direction change. He his he only has one direction, and it's forward. There's no lateral movement. Just go right up the field, and try not to drop balls that hit you right in the hands. And uh, yeah, he's done that a few times this year, has he not? Just some easy bunnies that he should just be able to just catch right there. And he's cl- clearly just hits him right in the hands, and he just drops it like beautiful ball thrown by Spencer Rattler. Yeah, it's it's been pretty bad, but also at the same time, that's opening up things for uh, Marvin Mims. It's like opening for Theo Weiss. So him being out there, I think opposing defenses will take into account that he is the returning leading receiver. Um, at least for a little bit. Um, but as far as just being an actual threat, he's just kind of a, a what do you call it, a decoy. Yeah, he is. I mean, he he stretches the field for you north and south, and Oklahoma did that a lot against TCU, especially to loosen up things for the run game. And I, I, saw, I was following TCU people during the game live, and they're like, damn, they're just taking deep shots at us now. <laughs> and, I mean, that'll be something we get to a little bit later, but it's something that Melissa Trebowasser brought up about uh, – about the game this yesterday from Frogs of War. She mentioned that. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But talking about guys that have really been coming on lately is, is TJ Pledger. I mean, he has he's he really shined in the Texas game, of course. And then, you know, he really didn't play that much in the first half. It didn't seem like it seemed like that uh, Seth McGowan was getting a lot of the touches just coming back from that concussion. And they kind of give Pledger a lot more opportunities in the second half, as well as a, a, a switch of left tackle. And, you know, he, he played well. And there were times that he should have been stopped for a one-yard gain or maybe for a one- or two-yard loss. And he keeps his feet moving, his legs turning, and then suddenly somehow it's second and five instead of second and 11 or 12. And I'm really excited to see what him and Ramondre Stevenson, who should be back after this week, 
uh, or coming this coming week against Texas Tech. I'm really excited to see what those two can do because they've been playing football for a while. I mean, this is Seth McGowan. He's a true freshman, just like Marvin Mims. I mean, McGowan tries too hard sometimes. He's too patient sometimes. And it, it it just really affects, you know, going from, what, a second and nine to a second and 12 or second and 13. We've seen that several times in the last couple of weeks when he was able to go. And I'm really excited to see what those guys can do. And so you look at you look at Stevenson, you look at Pledger. Going forward, who probably gets the most touches? I would say it would have to be Pledger. I mean, he's a hot hand right now. Um, he's shown that he can get production in this offense. He's not a big dude. Um, but he runs a lot bigger than he is. He's like a he's like a small P Ryan almost. He trucked two TCU defenders into the end zone for the first <laughs> yeah. touchdown of the game. I could he's not like believe five, that. Nine. I couldn't believe I could not believe that he trucked two guys at the exact same time. And it might have been like just physics. One guy hits him low to the left side and one guy hits him high up to the right side, so they might have like bounced each other out. <laughs> so like they both fell down and he just walks into the end zone. But man, He's been good in pass protection. He's been good uh, just weaving in and out of traffic. He's been good at finding holes in the defense. And when he needs one yard, damn no, he's going to get that one yard. He runs as tough as anybody I've seen. Yeah, he kept those, uh, those feet going. He keeps the feet going. He, he gets his shoulders down. He's you know he, he's a running back, and he's from IMG Academy. And he's, he's definitely seizing his moment, and he's able to get that. And so that's really exciting for Oklahoma fans because – now, instead of like having Seth McGowan, who you love, he's you tell he's going to be really good at Oklahoma over the next few years, but you've got a legitimate running back that can really make things happen for you. And then, which takes us to our next thing is, why is Eric, and we, we mentioned this yesterday, we were talking about it, and I, just, I, I, I was screaming at my television the very first series, and then subsequently all the series after that until the third quarter. Because this was a different, this was a different way in which Oklahoma Bill Bedenboe staggered Anton Harrison and Eric Swenson instead of doing it like every other drive or instead of doing every other possession or every other quarter. It looked like they gave Eric Swenson one half and they gave Anton Harrison another half. And you mentioned that. I mean, you go ahead and talk about like why? Why do you think? Why do you think that we saw we were still seeing so much Eric Swenson? Well, this is just a theory, right. um, and it's basically they just want to see what the pass rush is going to do, what the defense is going to do. Um, they want to see some of the pressures that they're going to try to uh, create before they throw Anton Harrison out there. That way they can just talk to him on the side, like, hey, expect this, expect this. Um, and in this formation, you need to slide over, that kind of stuff. So um, I, I just think it's a, a matter of he's a young guy. I mean, this time last year he was playing high school football his senior season. Um, so they want to be able to talk to him, make sure he's ready to go before they just throw him out there. And so my question is, why didn't they do that with Orlando Brown? That's a good question. I have, I have no answer for that one. And so like, I keep on thinking <laughs> about that, and I think I think about, you know, help. Eric Swenson wasn't in front of him? Yeah, I, I guess. I, I just think about the season is halfway over. At what point do you just trust him to – make his mistakes maybe early just like eric swenson is getting spence rather killed i mean like why <laughs> what what is the difference between anton harrison and eric swenson making mistakes and getting spencer rattler killed one is going to be in there the entire time and has a higher has a higher ceiling and floor and so why why wouldn't you want anton harrison to learn from his mistakes instead of saying hey 
this is what's happening. Be aware. That way, instead of waiting till the second half, maybe you get all your bumps and bruises out of the way out of the first quarter and you just keep on rolling with it. I just, I feel like they are just stunting his growth as a pass protector a little bit more if they if they were to just let him play the entire game. It just blows my mind, and I absolutely hate the fact that it's there. And it almost seems like a Jonathan Alvarez, Creed Humphrey situation where Eric Swenson clearly is not the talent that Anton Harrison is, but also Swenson's always had an injury thing, especially with the shoulder, and he does he. I can't tell. Now we're like, oh, he's fully healthy. Like, I don't know if he's fully healthy or if he's just not that great. And so I'm just like looking at this and I'm just, I'm just un, I'm, I cannot believe it. And I said I'd be so angry and I would scream last time. And I'm just so pissed. Like, I just, I think everybody sees it. And I think there has to be something like kind of what you said about, you know, learning from Eric Swenson and like what they're doing so they can coach him up on the sideline because nothing else really makes sense. And turning on to the defensive side of the ball, a guy that's been really having his world lit on fire, <laughs> especially this season, like I think except for one game maybe, is Brendan Riley Hiles and Buki. I mean, Nick Harris straight up said on Twitter, he's like, 44 is bad. He's not good. He's a bad football player. And so what is the why – does, <laughs> why is he been having – I mean – of course, he's going to have bad days when he's matched up against tight ends that are six foot seven. I think that's fair, but he's been having bad days when he's not lining up against six foot seven tight ends. So I don't understand why he is the way he is. All the penalties, all the show, like all the showmanship after getting beat and getting your helmet knocked off because some guy's bigger than you. I don't understand who he is as a football player and why he's been so bad this year. Can you enlighten me, maybe? I think we're starting to see that Buki's just not that fast. I mean, he, he's a fast guy, but he's not elite. And when you look at that uh, that out route, I believe, and it was in the first quarter, Buki just made a big misstep, and, and that caused like a 12-yard gain. No, so. that the, was that where he got juked out of his shoes? It may have been. It may have been. But essentially, he, he, he took a misstep inside and allowed the receiver outside, so... It's it's a weird issue. I don't think he has the recovery speed. I think he can stay with anyone as long as he doesn't mess up. But, you know, that first that foot that goes outside, um, you're pretty much screwed at that point because the safety's not coming over. Right. So Especially if it's pass it's, fields. Uh, I, we're starting to see that, you know, maybe Buki just isn't isn't what we, we thought he was. And so I was, I, was talking to, I was talking to a good friend last night, friend of the pod, <clears throat> Keegan Renault and uh oh god yeah 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 <laughs> and i was just like is there anybody that can replace him and oh, there, there's jeremiah Cradell. yeah and i mentioned well if if justin harrington was healthy right now who would he replace would justin harrington replace buki or would he replace pat fields uh, i think it'd be one of the safeties and i think just based on his uh, his JUCO tape, I believe Delarian Turner Yell would slide over to Pat Field's position, and then you would be a lot better immediately. Right, and then Justin Harrington would take Delarian Turner Yell's position, just based on what the, the tape showed. So, um, could be wrong. He could play nickel. I mean, he, he's got the size and speed to do it. Right. 
maybe if they needed like an emergency reserve. But uh, I think Jeremiah Cradell showed some good stuff yesterday. He did. He did. I think, and you know, I wanted to see more Woody Washington, but at the same time, TCU's offense couldn't get anything going. So like, you really didn't see in much of the secondary unless it was like a bust or something or an right. actual or an actual gain of yards because TCU just couldn't get anything going all day. They had a couple big plays that, re- that led directly to those two to those two scores, but for the most part, they were pretty much dead in the water almost all day. So kudos to the OU defense, specifically the defensive line and even their linebackers. I mean, I really, really like Brian Asamoa. I don't know about the rest of Sooner Nation. I don't know the, about the rest of the Sooner fans. I really, really like him. I really like how Brian Odom has coached those guys up. I really, really like seeing not only Brian Asamoa, but Deshaun White doesn't really do it for me. He's a good linebacker. He's instinctual. He's usually there at the right spot. He is, you know, he's a four-star guy. He's not lighting the world on fire because he's a different kind of linebacker that Kenneth Murray was, of course. But I like to see Brian Asamoa and David Aguebu out there. Those guys are athletic. They're, they're fast. And, you know, David Aguebu, he is a little bit too big to be playing inside. He's a little bit slow, but... But that's because he what was he was going to be playing on the outside, and everybody right. thought he was going to be playing on the outside. And then Caleb, they Caleb Kelly went down, and then they're like, "Oh crap!" Now we got to experiment. And so now all of a sudden he's inside, being this massive human being at two fifty, where all the other linebackers in the middle are playing about two thirty, two twenty five. And so I think he has an opportunity to be really, really special next year when he drops maybe about ten, fifteen pounds if he continues to want to play inside. So. Kudos to Perry and Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Leron Stokes, Josh Ellison, who's been a bright spot too, and Jordan Kelly, who just completely (laughs) crushed a guy in the backfield. And then, of course, the linebackers. I mean, dang, they've been really good. They've been really, really good against the run. And you could say that for sure for the Sooners team, right? They've been good against the run. And I mentioned this yesterday. They're good until they get into the red zone. That's fair. And, uh, I think yesterday they allowed their 10th red zone rushing touchdown of the season. So um, things tend to break down the red zone for some some odd reason. Maybe it's just the, the personnel. Um, but, you know, out of the red zone, they're one of the best teams in the country against the run. Yeah, gosh, Perry and Winfrey, because I think all of us said, right, well, Perry and Winfrey is going to have to step up into that into that uh, Neville Gallimore role. And would you say that Perry and Winfrey has almost even been better than Neville Gallimore? I think he's more consistent. And that that's that's better than just showing you know a player to um, a quarter. I think um, his consistency in the inside, as long you know, as well as Jordan Kelly, Josh Ellison, that's going to make this defensive line take that next step. And I think they, their games are a little bit different. I think what Neville Gallimore is a little bit better at rushing the passer, right? Or Perry Winfrey is probably a lot different better types. at destroying the run game. <laughs> like yeah. he kills the middle of the line and. So there, there are, you know, dreams of having Jalen Redmond back and maybe Ronnie Perkins does come back, maybe he doesn't come back. That's a whole different story. And dreams of having all three of those guys line up alongside Nick Benito and the and linebackers that you have Deshaun White, you have David Aguebu, you've got Brian Asamoah, you have Caleb Kelly probably coming back next year too. So you have a lot of variety going on in that front six seven going into next year so it's something to be really excited about and so i'm really excited about those guys on the front on the defensive front i'm really excited about really next year i've been i've been adamant about that but 
We'll have a little bit more to talk about regarding Lincoln Riley, just owning Gary Patterson, um, suspensions, helmet stickers, some moments of the game, and after all that stuff after a break for our sponsors. So we'll check you guys in one sec. Lincoln Riley has played uh, or he's coached a lot of tough games against Tom Herman, and Tom Herman is not a genius in any capacity. He's a jackass, actually. And he, Tom Herman, actually, he won the Baylor game yesterday. Good for him. And it was it was so delightful to see Tom Herman in agony when they played the Red River Shootout, just like his his surrender <laughs> cobras multiple times, and you know it's like basically like falling down to his knees. It like Lincoln Riley against the defensive guru, not just in the Big Twelve, but honestly one of the best defensive coaches in the country, c- continues his ownership of Gary Patterson and the Horned Frogs. I mean, the Horned Frogs couldn't d- get anything going offensively, sure. But their defense is still tough, and that was that was shown very clearly in the run game early on. Um, but Lincoln Riley get, gets it again. So what is it about Lincoln Riley against Gary Patterson that makes this thing go? Why do you why do you think Lincoln Riley has such an edge over Patterson every single time these guys play, except for maybe like two games? Well, I'm going to go back to what Melissa said on the uh, the first podcast, and it said that that. Oklahoma's just more talented um, across the board. I mean, TCU kind of prides himself on on taking those two, three-star guys and, and making them into superstars. And, well, in the recent years, they've taken three, four-star guys that really just haven't bought in as much. Um, it's a different kind of culture for those guys. You're not having the same, you know, I'm underrated. I, I need to right. prove myself. Um, you have guys that expect to be good right away, and that just doesn't happen. It's just, it's just not a cultural fit, so... I'm just gonna say Oklahoma's uh, culture and talent are just are just better than TCU's right now. Man, I'm watching NFL Countdown and I see Andy Dalton on the screen and I already know he's gonna mess <laughs> up. And I, I just keep on thinking about how the Horned Frogs won that Rose Bowl. I think it was against Wisconsin. What JJ Watt? <clears throat> Wasn't that the Wisconsin team they beat? I think so. And I think of that, and I think of how they how freaking good they were with Trevon Boykin. And uh, oh, who was the wide receiver? Do- Dobson. Dobson. Josh. Do- Josh Doxson. That's what it was, or something Doxson, like that. Yeah, yeah. And I just think about how good they were uh, with those guys. And then we look, we come back to now. The defense is still good. And defensively, last year, the year before that, they weren't that great. And the Sooners really kind of struggled last year against, especially with Jalen Hurts turning the ball over about three times. But man. Their defense is good, but their offense can't seem to find a rhythm. And Oklahoma, more often than not, they they are going to find a rhythm, especially under Lincoln Riley. And so talking about being in control most of the game and what Melissa from Frogs of War mentioned, she, she mentioned specifically that when we asked her to say, hey, pick the game, she said, you know, at the end, you know, she, she I think she originally picked TCU. And I think a lot of people picked TCU because of the unsureness of how Oklahoma – should play uh, retrospect to their talent level because they have a lot of talent, but that doesn't mean that they can that they're gonna win. And TCU, they beat Texas in regulation despite Texas <laughs> fumbling at the goal line. And she said Oklahoma's gonna have more big plays with with. And she said Charleston Rambo. And in the back of my mind, I was like, that's not the guy that's <laughs> gonna no make way. the big plays. <laughs> and he he had an opportunity to make a couple big plays, but he dropped it. But it was Mims and. She was right. Oklahoma had so many big plays that TCU did. They just could not keep up. They couldn't compete, and that's good for them. And, of course, going to the run game, 
what the hell was the difference between the first half and the second half? Because Oklahoma, you're going to look back at their stats and say, hey, they had about 170 yards rushing. Not bad. You know, they had a pretty decent day rushing the ball. But you're going to find out then that the majority of that of those of those yards on the ground came in the second half. I think <clears throat> I think the first half they had what like a yard and a half per carry, and it ended up being about three and a half or almost four yards per carry at the end of the game. And so, like, I'm really curious to go back and look at the stats and see how many yards per carry they averaged in the second half because it seems like way more. Did you notice anything why the run game was so much more effective in the second half? I think the first half, they really wanted to attack the middle of that defense, and that's why you saw all those targets to uh, Austin Stogner that he missed in the first half. Um, And I just think that took away from the running game. I think later on, they kind of realized, like, hey, we can we can kind of run the ball as we want to. Um, let's just stick with that. And there were some drives in the second half where they kind of completely forgot about that. Um, but I think I think Lincoln Riley's finally taking that step. Like, hey, I have more than one you know one option here for this offense. And that's fair. And that's fair. <clears throat> uh, you know, <clears throat> I just looked at the offensive line. Look what they were doing in Oklahoma. Instead of trying to go up the middle, because Oklahoma tried to go up the middle too many times, I feel like, and they just got just completely destroyed. Oklahoma running off the edges, Oklahoma off the off the counters. I did not like to see Spencer Rattler in the run game as much as they did, especially where they were trying to run the ball. Uh, you're going to get him killed on the edge. And but yeah, I, I I agree. I think they're they ran the ball a lot more and less kind of stuff over the middle. And because TCU, they were just bearing down. I think they, I think at one point I saw eight guys in the box. And they, you're just not going to be able to do that against a good defense. And so Oklahoma really loosening up the defense, maybe te- you know stretching out the defense and giving them more breathing room to run the ball, made them a little bit more successful. But talking about suspensions, the suspensions from last season for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl have now been served. I mean, so y- you should, pending a piss test, you should get Trajan Bridges and Ramondre Stevenson back, and so that's going to be a that's going to be really good for Oklahoma. And Jaden Hazelwood he may be back over the next couple weeks. Who knows? Um, I don't know if he'll be back for Texas Tech, but looking at the games after that, maybe not out of the question. And then, then you have Ronnie Perkins. Yeah, then you have Ronnie Perkins. And I was talking again. I I, mentioned, I was mentioning talking to Keegan last night, and I thought, man. You know, this has to be because a lot of people are suggesting that Ronnie Perkins is done for the year. And I was thinking, well, if it's an internal piss test for OU, that probably wouldn't be the case. So, but at the same time, if he is essentially making sure, hey, we need one more P test to make sure everything's clear, that regardless if it's internal or an NCAA, that information would be communicated to the NCAA, which would mean not just the rest of the season can, but one whole season down the drain, one extra whole season can for <clears throat> Ronnie Perkins. So we're trying to figure out maybe the logistics behind the NCAA and and OU's kind of you know drug tests, marijuana tests, just for peeing, which is stupid in general because people have been smoking weed for thousands of years, and now we're angry that people are smoking weed still, which is <laughs> whatever there are more health benefits to it than people drinking but we don't act like alcoholism in the big 12 isn't rampant among coaches like tom herman um so it's just g2 and vodka yeah gosh 
it, it's just it's unbelievable it's 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 just it's ridiculous it's ridiculous and so like what even with this Ron, ronnie perkins situation as you and i guess us viewing ronnie perkins should we start to look at this situation as a it's done it's over just like move on to next year with ronnie perkins in the rearview mirror or should we still really keep tabs on it uh i think you should keep tabs on it um if you look at uh guys that that have left or opted out or not going to be there they've removed them from the the online roster whether they're on the the team or not um ronnie perkins is still up there just check so yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. Uh, I'm sure we'll get some clarification what Tuesday when they have that press conference. So it's it's something to keep tabs on, but don't get your hype or your hopes too high. That's sad. And of all, out of all three, or I guess four of the guys, because Hazelwood's been hurt, but out of all three suspended guys, he was the one that I thought was most important to right. the the success of the team, but. Hell, if Isaiah Thomas is going to play out of his damn mind every game, then I, <laughs> I'm cool to roll with Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas uh, has really proven some stuff. And shout-out to Jamar Kane, you know, for really getting that out of him because Isaiah Thomas leaves that all in the field. And, gosh, this guy, he's living in the backfield sometimes. He just gets incredible yeah. separation with his arms and just to get into the backfield. Then we saw Stripling just completely just speed rush the edge the other day on the strong side of the offensive line. And he just beat his man to the corner and just completely obliterated uh, Max Duggan. So I just like you're seeing a lot of coaching and a lot of great coaching going on between Calvin Thibodeau and Jamar Kane, and they're going to be good. They're going to be really good. And then you're going to get more guys in the system next year. You're going to get guys healthy, more guys back next year. I'm really excited where they're going, and hopefully Ronnie Perkins can be a part can be a part of that because I dream of Winfrey Redmond. And Perkins, I think that's in it. That's a that's probably the best defensive line Oklahoma's had in probably since 2009. And I'm not comparing them to any of them to GK Gerald McCoy, but I'm saying that's probably the best defensive line that they have had. I think they're much better than Charleston, uh, not Charleston Rainbow, but uh oh the other Tapper Tapper Charles Tapper. I think they're much better than that Charles Tapper and Charles Walker line uh, because of the the, dy- the the dynamic athletes that they are, but also how 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 just how strong and twists and stunts and how great they are at those so really excited to see those guys continue on but coming out of this game because we had the texas game that caused a lot of us heart attacks and we needed a day to recover and then you get a bye week and immediately go to bye week which is like probably not good for my brain because i was like oh man that was so exciting and i was so anxious and i can breathe and it's like i can't wait till next week it's like oh just kidding there's no football so then nick you wait <laughs> two weeks for this game to see maybe what things kind of stuck from the Texas game, maybe what things that, that didn't stick. So after looking at this game, and I guess you, you would have to have the Texas game in the rearview mirror because from three weeks ago, knowing what you just saw, but after looking at this, what are some things that Oklahoma did personnel-wise or maybe just play-wise or play-calling-wise, scheme-wise, on offense and defense that you would like to see more of? And what are some things that you would definitely like to see less of? I think I was thinking about this earlier. I think they should just use or look at Theo Weiss uh, more often in the game, especially early in the game. They kind of opened some things up. Um, they tried to force to Stogner. That wasn't there, obviously. I think TCU just kind of out schemed Riley in that aspect because they saw that that Walla just wasn't going to hang with Stogner, so they they put a DB over him. 
Uh, but get Theo Weiss involved a little bit earlier. I think it's going to open up the offense a lot more. It's like if you look at uh, the offenses of C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown and uh, Mark Andrews, all those guys complemented each other. So um, this offense has a lot of really talented pieces. It's just a matter of getting it to complement each other. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I really agree with that. I, it feels like we don't hear about we don't hear anything from Theo Weiss until the beginning of the second half, right? Late first, second half, um, he always emerges, he always makes big plays, but um, early in the game, he just kind of is never a factor. Yeah, he's 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 definitely it doesn't he definitely doesn't seem like a part of the plan at the beginning of the game, but as the game goes on and as the Sooners adjust, it seems like he gets open a lot more. And of course, that one play, gosh, Riley's incredible with the way he designs plays. Just taking safeties out, having them go opposite ways, getting getting Spencer Rattler too, of course, looking off safeties, and then Theo Wee is getting wide open. You know, there's one there's one TCU defender guarding one half of the field on his zone, and he has to choose between the guy in the flat at the sticks or the guy getting him 30 yards upfield. So it's incredible the way the Lincoln Riley was able to scheme that. So I, I agree with that. And things I'd like to see more of is uh, Anton Harrison and not Eric Swenson. <laughs> and <laughs> I'd love to see a lot more of what David Aguebu and Brian Isamoa can do. And I'm not saying we should take Deshaun White off the field by any means, but I'm saying I would love to see a lot more of what the athletic tandem of Aguebu and Isamoa could do. Because I think Isamoa, isn't he the leading tackler on the team? I believe so. And so, like getting two freak athletes <clears throat> that are totally that have to, two totally different games as linebackers. One is a little bit short, but like has an amazing burst. And Aguebu is a little bit slower, but God, he's so long and athletic. I mean, there's so much you could do with those two guys. And so, what are some things you'd like to see less of, though? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Buki. I don't want to see Buki anymore. Um, his play was miserable. Um, his penalties were pretty bad. The one, the 12 men on the field, that really wasn't his fault. I right. think uh, the coaches told him to run out there. So, like, what are you going to do? Tell him no. Um, so, but, here's the deal, though. When they took Buki out, then they put Trey Norwood in. And that not that, like, the, <laughs> your worst nightmare? It's my living hell. But uh, <laughs> I'm ready to see what an adjustment would look like, even if it's a bad adjustment. Right. Or just put in Jeremiah Cradell, you know that might. That's the ideal situation. But I didn't notice. I'll give I'll give Norwood credit. He did make a good tackle. He did. Good for him. And uh, Justin didn't expect that. Justin Broyles. Justin, who was it? Justin Broyles and who else tried to tackle Pro Wells, and they just let this guy go in the middle. It was of the field. Uh, Delaren Turner yell. Oh man, that was bad. Man. That was ugly. Give Bryson Washington the nickel spot. What is what yeah. is keeping them from he doing? He's good on special teams. Yeah. What is what is keeping them from doing that? Experience, I guess. Experience, but maybe some X's and O's, some concepts. But I mean, it's not it's not a too big of a system that you can't just learn it in a few months. That's what I'm saying. And so maybe maybe we'll see a little bit more of that next year. And I'm curious because Buki's a, he's a junior, is he not? Uh, yes, he is. He's not going to the NFL this year, <laughs> so I'm curious to see. Do you remember? Uh, when he when he announced his commitment, he says he's going to spend the next three years yeah. at Oklahoma. Sorry, buddy, not going to happen. This is year three. But I'm curious to see what happens next year with the defensive backs because Buki, 
all those guys that are like six foot one, six foot two, now a season of their belt, and they're gonna get better, stronger, and bigger. And uh, I think Buki's done growing, man. I think <laughs> I, I don't think he's gonna get any taller. And uh, so I, I'm really curious to see what Alex Grinch is gonna do with them next year. I think Trey Brown's a senior, right? He's gone. I, think. I believe so, unless he gets a medical nah. red shirt. I'll have to double check on that. But you'll see Jaden Davis, you'll see Joshua Eaton, you'll see you'll see uh not well, you'll see Bryson Washington for sure. You'll see Woody Washington, you'll see Delarian Turner Yale, you'll see Justin Harrington, you've got Trey Norwood in there, and then you've got other guys coming up, and I, I'm just curious to see who gets phased out and how many people are gonna get pissed and how many people are gonna get upset and wanna transfer and it's going to be fun. It's going to be odd. But something I'd like to see less of is, I've mentioned it several times, Eric Swenson. So I'd like to see more of Anton Harrison. And, <laughs> Doubling down on uh, And less of Eric, Eric Swenson. Swenson. It just pisses me off. Like His ceiling, Anton Harrison's ceiling, is very, high, very much higher than Eric Swenson's is. And if they're even that close, his floor is significantly higher than Eric Swenson. And so I think they should just put him in there and, be, and trust him that, yeah, we understand you are going to make mistakes. That's for sure. They're going to make mistakes. And just like Eric Swenson makes mistakes and gets Spencer Rather almost killed, so then what's the difference? So you need to go with youth. They did it with Josiah St. John, with, with Drew Samia. They did it with Jonathan Alvarez and Creed Humphrey. Why are we not doing this right now with Swenson and Anton Harrison? I just I don't get it. It blows my mind, and I hate it so much. But let's go to some helmet stickers, man. I think we know some obvious ones, but who are two of yours on offense? Uh, I think one has to go to TJ Pledger. He had a hell of a game. And he, I mean, he was just a tough runner. Yep. So uh, he'll get a helmet sticker. I think the obvious one here is Marvin Mims. And it's probably going to lead into the next <laughs> point as well. Yeah, well. Why? Why wouldn't it be Marvin Mims? I mean, the guy, the guy just he he makes plays, and that's and against one of the best defenses in the Big Twelve, he mossed a guy and just consistently finding holes in the zones, consistently just like I've never I have not seen a true freshman punt returner have so much confidence in himself. It reminded me a little bit of Sterling Shepard, but Sterling Shepard was hamstringed by Stoops because Stoops didn't want them to return the balls. Uh, it, so it just it just reminds you of you know that breakout freshman season of like Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard, guys that are you know are going to be really fucking good in their career at OU. So I mean, yes, I think one of them definitely has to be Marvin Mims for sure. And then I'm, I'm going to say, since I've already complained enough about the offensive line, uh, we've we've mentioned the running backs. I mean, the only other guy. You could go Spencer Rattler, or you could really say Theo Weiss because he had a pretty decent day. Theo Weiss, you know, he he uh, he he caught in and he hauled in a couple of balls that if he had just stayed up on his feet, he might have had touchdowns. Uh, but I'm gonna go Spencer Rattler because the man only had 13 completions and had over 300 yards. <laughs> what about uh, what about Creed Humphrey? He had a pretty strong game. He did. He did. I, I th- you know I thought that, I thought the offensive line particularly, especially in the second half, did really, really well. But, man, like 13 out of 22, 300 and something yards, that's just that's just unbelievable. And the the deep ball, 
and any throw that really Spencer Eller makes is just is is a sight to my eyes can, in comparison to what we saw last year with Jalen Hurts because you know <laughs> you know there are several plays that Lincoln Riley just even has dialed up against TCU against Texas that they cannot even think about running for Jalen Hurts and just like a simple roll left stick your foot in the ground plant and and rip it and we saw that we saw Spencer Rattler do that several times yesterday and they couldn't do that with Jalen Hurts because that's just not the type of quarterback he was so going on to the defense who are your two guys that you're giving helmet stickers out to I might have to stick on the defensive line. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas. Um, we'll go Perion Winfrey. I thought about Jordan Kelly just because he just blew up that play absolutely. He just dominated that uh, TCU offensive line. But I think Perion Winfrey was a little bit more consistent. All right, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's hard to give out helmet stickers on defense because they played relatively pretty great the most of the game. Give me... Hmm... Well, if you're going to go Perry and Winfrey, you kind of said the entire defensive line. Give me uh, Isaiah Thomas. He impresses year year. He he's impressing again week in and week out. And with the, I guess assumed production that he would might have in comparison to what he's actually putting on the field, I think that's a I think that's a definitely credible. And I, I think that he deserves a lot of credit. But I think Jamar Kane also deserves a lot of credit for his development. And then give me, actually, you know, people aren't may not like this. Give me a helmet sticker for both cornerbacks. You did not hear their names at all. Yeah, I was about to yesterday. bring up the Trey Brown actually had a really good day. Yeah, Trey Brown, Jaden Davis, both those guys had really good days. You really hardly ever, like, I remember getting through the middle of the game thinking, is Trey, has Trey Brown been, even been playing? Because, like, you hadn't, you did not hear his name one time all day. And you 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 heard one name consistently in the defense all day, and it was Buki, for opposite <laughs> reasons. But yeah, Trey Brown, Jane Davis, have yourself a game, man. Uh, you know, Pat Fields was kind of just there. Dillian Turner Yell was he was all right, but the two cornerbacks had themselves a game, and of course you could probably attribute that to not just them playing well, but also TCU's offense being just hot ass garbage. You know, um, so I think that's fair. Now moment of the game. So what to you? Let's say the cameras are flashing. This is what's going to go on the front page of the papers. What to you was the moment of the game that really stuck out to you? Oh, it would have to be the Marvin Mims just mossing uh, the TCU defender because that was at a critical point in the game where he thought TCU, you know, they might have enough time to get some momentum. And, you know, Marvin Mims just shows up and just takes that ball out of the air and just runs away with it. So. Um, I'm going to go for with that one for a moment of the game. Um, maybe, you know, since he didn't get a helmet sticker, the Jordan Kelly um, just blowing up the backfield. So <laughs> that was one of those. That two. was hilarious. I mean, they think they thought they were going to go east to west on this defense, which typically never really works out because they recruit a lot of speed. And so going east and west is not what you want to do. Going north and south is what you should be doing against this defense. And it's just hilarious to me that <laughs> this guy probably thought he was about to break maybe like a 5 to 10 yarder because he had guys in front of him. And next thing you know, you got big old 88 laying this dude out like 8 yards in the backfield. That's incredible. But I think, yeah, I think moment of the game, it has, to, it has to be Marvin Mims mossing, right? I mean, he, he owned the day. He's the player of the game. He's the guy that mossed the guy. And it's so demoralizing, too. Like, oh, man, we could really make, you know, it's, it was 20 to 7 at this point. 
And it's like, hey, if TC if they if TCU get the ball back and score, they can make this really uncomfortable for the Sooners. And this in the uh, heck, as soon as Oklahoma went up two scores, we we're like, all right, so are we feeling uncomfortable yet? Because Oklahoma up two <laughs> scores is uh, has, has not been kind to them. And it's a little bit of a curse. And then so like you're thinking, well, if TCU gets the ball back. You know, Oklahoma's been playing stiff defense, but if Oklahoma gives up a big play, who knows? And the next thing you know, nail meat coffin. I mean, I was thinking. Some guy on Twitter, uh, I think it was some guy named Zach. I was on the I was on the account yesterday. He was like, "We need a we need a ten yard we need a ten minute drive touchdown drive from the Sooners here really ice the game." I was like, "I've got bad news for you, Zach. It's not gonna happen." <laughs> and of course, one and a half minutes into the drive, Spencer rather drops a bomb to Marvin Mims, who mosses the TCU defender. Is like, "Well, it was bad news, Zach, but that's because the drive only lasted a minute and a half." And so it was just incredible. And that, that definitely is the moment of the game. So coming up this coming weekend, you got Texas Tech in Lubbock. It's Halloween night. Um, those Texas Tech fans are the worst. I've, 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 I've been around several Big 12 fan bases. I hate Texas Tech the most out of the fan bases. Now, don't get me wrong. I hate Texas the most. But Texas Tech's fan base is really shitty. <laughs> Why wouldn't they be? They're out there in like the desert. And that's see, that's and that's that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I understand though. Like, why? Because they live in Lubbock. Like, I'd probably have an attitude and an anger issue if I also lived in West Texas. <laughs> so it's it's like that. It's like that commercial, that stupid State Farm commercial, whatever it is, or Allstate, or whatever the I don't know what the hell it is with Pat Mahomes, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes over there squirting ketchup all over this damn steak. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense. He's from Lubbock, so Patrick Mahomes probably would put a t- ton of ketchup on a like a porterhouse steak. It seems like a Lubbock thing yeah, to do. It seems like a West Texas. And these dudes, like, it's not the tortillas that bug me. It's just the drunken idiotness that these Texas Tech fans have. They throw batteries at people. They throw like random rocks <laughs> and shit onto the field at the players. And it's like, what are we? What is going on? So uh, I'm happy that. You know, I'm happy that Oklahoma gets to play a Matt Wells team that is a, seems a little bit better on defense, but maybe taking a step, a small step back on offense. So I'm really curious to see how this game goes because I didn't realize t- Texas Tech, I did not realize they were 1-3 before they basically stole one from the Mountaineers. I didn't realize that they had played poor football so far. And so I'm really excited to really to have Viva... Uh, Viva the Matadors or bring on the, I don't know what the heck that's a Viva the Matadors <laughs> one of the SB Nation guys I'm excited to have those guys on to talk about some Texas Tech football to ask them about Cliff Kingsbury and how he's doing a lot better in Arizona than he ever did at Texas Tech so uh, yeah that's about it man do you have anything else? Uh, I think I'm good alright well thanks for tuning in guys to this post game edition of the podcast it's a little bit longer but that's okay uh, follow us at crimsonandcreammachine.com, brought to you guys by SB Nation. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us at, at CC Machine or at J. Larry Shields. I'm Kami, I'm Robbie, and you can follow me at, at KMRobbie and CCM. And you can follow Steven at OUUpdatedSB. Um, give us a five-star rating. Really appreciate it, and we'll check you guys later. <laughs>